It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 554 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. It's Monday. It's the start of a brand new week. And among the many hot topics we're going to be talking about this week on the show with my guests are one, the, the future of sales training. We're going to talk about that today and what we can do to fix our the broken sales model. We're going to talk about how to become a power connector, meaning how to, how to build a really effective network of connections. We're going to talk about how to achieve excellence in all that you do with the author of a best-selling book called The Difference, When Good Enough Isn't Enough. And we're going to talk about how to perfect your sales forecasting. So coming up on the show today is my guest, Connor Burt. Connor is the COO at Lessonly. Lessonly is a next-generation team learning platform. And we're going to talk about why sales training is broken and what we can all do, how we can all contribute to fixing it going forward into the future. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 554. You'll find timestamp breakdown of this conversation and all conversations on Accelerate there. Check it out. And as always, if you like the show, really help us out if you subscribed, left a review for us. You can do that all with the podcast app on the phone you're using to listen to this podcast. So go ahead, do that now, and then come back and listen to the rest of the show. So let's jump into it. Connor Burt, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, thanks, Andy. Great to be here. My pleasure. Gosh, Thanks for being here with me. So we start the show with a pretty standard question I ask all my guests, and that is, in your mind, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Ooh, that's a great question, Andy. I, I would, um, I, I, in our world of SaaS. Um, SaaS. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love the way that, <laughs> we, need a, <laughs> we need a new term, but yeah, go ahead. I'm thinking of the uh, capital S and then the, the last capital. Two little A's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I think the the challenge in in software specifically is buyers are just inundated with uh, first of all requests to review software and and kind of prospecting mm-hmm. and also um, what you see is organizations regardless of the category of software you're selling you know the sprawl of teams buying their own software and you look at an organization and there's 350 different software tools across the organization. Um, and it doesn't even sometimes matter what category of software you're selling. Oftentimes you're competing for priority against those 300 other tools that the organization's already invested in. And, and this huge challenge for the organization is to kind of whittle it down to, to what are the kind of key priorities Mm -hmm. uh, for the organization this year. And so I think for sellers, um, you know, 10 years ago, it might've been, Hey, I'm investing in this category of software. I need to differentiate in my category um, I think now you're almost seeing sellers need to fight for priority of your category first before you can even get there. So I think it's just gotten a lot more complex to to get the mind share of an organization to think about kind of the problem you're solving uh, elevated above all the other kind of problems they're trying to solve as it relates to, to software sales. Okay. All right. Hmm. All right. I have to think about that one. That Yeah. I mean, I think that... that yeah, I mean, one of the just facts of life is is given sort of the new pricing models, and given that you know SaaS products still offer freemium you know options and so on, is is it's pretty easy to bring in a lot of different tools, right? And I think that yeah, it just muddies the water uh, for for sellers. So um, interesting. Well, good. All right, great answer. 
All right, so let's let's talk about let's talk about lesson. Let's talk about sales training. So another yeah. sort of broad question is, you know, in your mind, why is sales training so broken? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think uh, the first first thing I would say there, Andy, is. Um, you know, you think about an organization of any size, let's say they're north of a hundred employees and they've got at least 20 or 25 reps. I think one of the things and these trend, this trend that we're seeing is number one is sales training is broken because everybody wants to enable sales. So they're, they're kind of the driving <laughs> engine of the organization. So you think about it, it's like, you know, HR wants to enable them on something. Marketing wants to enable them on the latest piece of content and the greatest new ebook they pushed out. Uh, product has this great feature that's just going to change the game. Um, and I think one of the challenges for a sales organization organization is really just to synthesize all of that into what is actually going to help a sales rep be more productive, um, is kind of one of the, the first and most prominent things that we see is just so many things thrown at the sales org, um, with no thought to how do we synthesize and orchestrate all of these these concepts, these materials, ideas into something that the uh, seller can actually go use in their day to day as they're thinking about closing the next deal. That, that'd be the first thing I'd say. Yeah, well, I think you can certainly see that, right? Because I mean, if you look at it as sales is a channel, and everybody wants access to the channel, right? That's the channel to the customer. Everybody wants access to that. They want to influence it somehow. Of course. And uh, yeah, I think back to uh, days when I worked at Apple back in sort of the early, early, early days of Apple where, yeah, we sold through, you know, retail and, you know, everybody wanted access <laughs> to the retail channel. All the product managers had their own little project they wanted to get out there and, <laughs> yeah. you know, one market they wanted to address and so on. And yeah, is, is, yeah, there are people inside of Apple whose job was to try to meter that flow so that they didn't overwhelm the channel. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing I would say is just, um, kind of somewhat, somewhat related to, to that experience. I think, you know, organizations kind of tell themselves we're doing all right with training. Um, and they tell themselves, yeah, you know, we've got a pretty good onboarding program. And, and sometimes we do these kind of learning rallies across the country. And I, I put up this slide and I say, for all the sales leaders in the room, if I were to go ask one of your sales reps, uh, it just said, Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Sales Rep, on a scale of A to F, how has the training you've received here helped you perform to the best of your ability? I, and I, I kind of let that sit. And most of the sales leaders in the room, you can kind of feel this like pit in their stomach forming. And they're thinking to themselves, like, when I've asked that directly to them, most of them say, yeah, that we'd probably give ourselves, you know, a B or a C. Um, or the reps would give us a B or a C. And, and so I think the problem with sales training today is... Number one, we don't recognize that it's even a problem and it gets put on the back burner to all the other, you know, uh, kind of sales management functions, whether that's just deal management, forecasting, hiring, um, and it gets pushed, pushed down and down the priority list. And, and there isn't enough of a recognition that for the individual seller, we're actually failing them from a training perspective would be the kind of second thing I'd mention there. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of the... I don't know, the, the data somewhat supports that, right? I mean, we hear about, and now whether, again, there's all sorts of data, different data that's out there about, you know, sales rep productivity is stagnant at relatively low levels and, and the investment in sales. I mean, a, a professor from Harvard Business School saying that 
the annual expenditure in the U.S. on sales is like $92 billion. Not, yeah. not in sales training, but in sales, right? So I have this huge investment at stake in sales. Wow. And you know, what we do is we bring them together once or twice a year and put them in a classroom and teach them something that they've forgotten by the time they walk out the door. <laughs> Exactly. And I, I think that's a good point too. the, um, you know, I, I remember, um, reading Mark Robert's from HubSpot's yeah. book, um, sales acceleration it, formula. Great book. Yeah. I, I loved it. One of the pieces I really remember was, um, you know, essentially HubSpot in kind of early days was at this juncture where, um, you know, we have, you know, let's say 50 reps, uh, we've got aggressive growth targets. How are we going to get there? And and I think what I admired about Robert's philosophy was I'm going to hit my growth targets by making each of my reps better versus hiring another 10 or another 20, mm-hmm. right? I, I mm-hmm. want to optimize kind of my current team's productivity before I go scale and start adding reps. And I think today in the, the world we live in, especially in the, the venture-funded uh, high growth technology companies at times the adding quota bearing capacity um, can seem like a quicker path to growth than you know developing the team that you have and making each individual better um, and and I think that's a mistake you know just from an organizational level um, because you know you're just burning through resources like you said 92 billion. Uh, a lot of that is probably just hiring for capacity versus optimizing sure. what you have. Well, and I think part of the disincentive you see on the part of some of those companies to really invest in sales training is that they feel like they're training the rep for the next company they go to. Yeah. Because if you have an average tenure of 12 to 18 months for a sales development rep, then, yeah, you're saying, oh, gosh, I really invest heavily in training them. <laughs> yeah. They're just going to take that and go. And there hasn't been, I think, enough work to really sort of understand as well, geez, maybe if we really trained them and did a better job in some other areas that they may actually stay. Yeah. Or yeah. be worthy of staying. You know, we might promote them into you know, an AE job or CSM job or something that, that was a next step up in their career. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, that also reminds me, there's a, a, g- a gentleman that I, I've only had a couple of conversations with him, but he ran sales at a software company called Acquia. Um, and you know, we were just kind of sharing, sharing ideas and strategies. He had taken their team from like something like 25 reps to, um, something like 200 in in a couple of years. And, uh, one of the things that stuck out with me is he had shared that they kind of thought about hiring in two ways. One was we can develop our bench of sellers from like an SDR model, or we can hire you know, experienced or semi-experienced even people off the street. And this was like a fairly inside sales model, nothing mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. enterprise. And he shared me over the course of that kind of scale period, his reps that he promoted uh, at the end of their first year were 60% more productive than the reps that they hired off the street and tried to bring into the business and, you know, quote unquote, had experience and knew how to sell, which I thought was it just kind of rung true with me of, you know, developing talent in house and, and bringing people up. Uh, if you do it right, I think seems like it can have, you know, real benefits. Well, yeah. And I think that gets back to training because if it, it really depends on your perspective on your hires. If, if you are hiring with the intent that these people are going to be your bench, right? They're the ones that are going to move up 
yeah. then then you have a different perspective on the capabilities and the qualities and the characteristics, the traits, the the you know the basic habits that you're hiring. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's a really astute point you made because I think that many uh, companies in the SaaS space don't do that. Is you know they're hiring to scale, as you said, and yeah, just hoping they can get twelve to eighteen good months out of someone before they burn out and go. Yeah, as opposed it, to saying, "Hey, we're hiring this year. We're going to hire, you know, fifty SDRs. I want each one of them to be promotable." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you got to think. Um, I, I don't have any stats for you, but you got to think to your point that twelve or eighteen month tenure and people turning over um, to some degree. I'm sure you can't eliminate it. Uh, goes goes down when the individual at the other end of your SDR team actually feels, you know, like they're, they have a path they're being invested in, they're getting better, they're being challenged. Um, and you know, you gotta think that makes a difference on, on things like turnover and those types of roles. Yeah. I mean, all the other things being in place, you know, good management, good coaching, uh, you know, a corporate culture that, that's, uh, you know, supporting, yeah, supporting the, supporting this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you can have really good people, and if they're in an environment that's just, hey, we're just here to do the numbers, and you know, how much more can I beat out of you? Um, yeah. Then yeah, nothing's going to keep them from <laughs> jumping to the next bright shiny object. Yes. <laughs> so, all right. So let's let's talk about what Lessonly does a little bit. So, um, maybe tell us a little bit about the company, how you got started, and and what the mission was when you when you started. Yeah, you bet. Um, so our, our mission has become, you know, from, from day one, well, let me start, I guess where we got started. Um, I was essentially, uh, working at a a small startup that was acquired by a company in Indianapolis that we all look up to here. Uh, we're based out of Indiana called exact target. So I was one of, now part of Salesforce, now part of Salesforce. Yes. And, and these kind of series of acquisitions were happening. And, and I was in this small little startup with a five person sales team. And, um, we were selling a fairly complex product. It was predictive analytics for online retailers. Mm-hmm. And I quickly learned that, uh, as soon as the acquisition happened, we had now this army of a thousand exact target sales reps across the world. And I figured out as a rep that the better I could teach them what this product did and how to position it with their existing customer base, the better I did. Cause it was kind of like, uh, you know, an overlay scenario. Mm-hmm. And, and so exact target, um, essentially came to the five sales reps on our team and turned us into essentially trainers because there was no other way to quickly mobilize a huge sales force on a new product. And the first thing they asked me to do, which I thought was totally messed up, was to go to <laughs> Australia uh, for six months. And there was only a team of about 25 people uh, in Australia. Um, and they wanted me to go for six months just to train 25 people on what I thought was a, you know, a fairly easy to understand concept. And I said, you know, this seems crazy. This seems overly expensive. Um, and I had a roommate at the time who was kind of in the early stages of, uh, now he's now our CEO, Max, developing you know, V one of lessonly. And, um, I said, Hey, let me, let me try this thing. So essentially the foundation of that turned into, um, I'm going to dump knowledge from my head and everything I know about this product into 10 lessons that I'm going to assign to those 25 people in Australia. Um, and I'm going to see what happens. So I did that. I went to Australia 
And not surprisingly, the people who had self-educated kind of went through my content, um, took the time to do it, which I could see, were taking me into deals with Hotels.com and TripAdvisor. Mm -hmm. Like the day I walked in the door, of course, you'd expect that to happen, right? But the you know, other 20 who didn't take the content, uh, I sat there for three months around a conference room table while everyone's checking their email and on their phone and working deals, and I got nowhere. <laughs> and, and so I thought to myself, you know, if a company at the scale of exact target, 2000 employees can't mobilize, uh, training and, and even just basic information to a sales force quickly, uh, there's, there's gotta be this problem elsewhere. And so that was kind of my, uh, journey into Lessonly. Since then we've gone on, we've got about 350, 400 clients, uh, across the world. Uh, and we really focus on helping teams, uh, helping teams drive better performance through learning. And, and so typically that is a sales team or another customer facing team. And the, the core concept is to allow the organization to get kind of this peer driven culture of learning, create the lessons on the topics that matter most to the individual seller, uh, and then set up really great programs for ongoing development and self-education inside the, uh, the customer facing teams. And so you have like a, an authoring tool then, right? That, that, so it makes it pretty simple then for people, as you said, you just sort of sat down and, and transferred your knowledge into it. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's the authoring component and then for the individual sales rep, what we do is we essentially make it extremely accessible. So there's uh, a few ways. One is you can access all of this learning content through Salesforce or at your standalone destination. You can see things like your learning path. So if you imagine bringing on a new sales rep, uh, you'd have like a 90 day learning path that you'd be going down and you can see where you're at. And then finally, we usually give the uh, organization access via uh, a simple Chrome extension. So mm -hmm. if I'm browsing anywhere on the internet, I'm a knowledge worker, I'm working in Salesforce doing my thing, uh, I can revisit that training material that I've already been through. So we try to bring the idea of these fundamental in, uh, lessons into your kind of day-to-day working world, which often you know, relies on, on your computer and the web and everywhere you're uh, spending your time. And so with your customers, I mean, is, is the emphasis, I'm sort of curious about the training that they develop yeah. because, you know, there is this acknowledged problem that, that getting, getting sales professionals to invest their own, own time in, in learning is really difficult. Yeah. Is, so do your customers, are they setting aside time during the day where they want people to engage in the learning or is it situational? Hey, I'm getting ready to go on a call. I'm going to pull something up and look at it. I mean, how's that sort of basically used? Yeah, I would say most customers use it. They don't necessarily set aside time. I think the interesting thing is when, when the organization does a good job. So I, I, one of our great customers is a software company out of DC called fiscal note. Um, mm -hmm. we've learned a lot from them and give you an example. Essentially what they've done is they've invested a lot upfront in the content and that content comes from both management and sales enablement, but also individual reps. So win reviews of deals like individual in the pit, this is how I won this deal could be a lesson. Um, and, and what they're doing and what they're finding is when we organize this content well, when we make it relevant, our reps are probably going to engage because they see that it benefits them. Um, so really the, the tool itself drives what, what we would call assignments. So a rep is notified at the right time when, hey, there's a new assignment to go take on a competitor or a new assignment to go take on product. Um, and ultimately, we organize all of the company's sales training content into usually five buckets, uh, which are 
here's what you need to know about the company, the mission, the vision, the values. Here's what you need to know about the industry. Here's what the value of our product and product knowledge is. Here's the process you need to follow. And then here are some more of the soft skills type training uh, related to things like negotiation or later stage deal development or territory development, things like that. So usually the rep kind of goes through an onboarding path and then has kind of a weekly or ongoing topic that's top of mind for the business that they'll get assigned. So a manager will assign it. Yeah, usually a manager. Okay. And so do they... Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm losing my voice here for a second. So do, do they uh, you know, have quizzes built in? They have to have certain scores you know, before they progress to another module? Or is it more yeah. ad hoc than that? No, there's, there's depends on the type of content. But the, the primary model we see most people following is this idea of, you know, take this lesson. Um, so kind of learn this. Uh, then go practice it. So we've got some functionality in the tool that allows an organization to say, hey, uh, you just learned about our biggest competitor. Um, record yourself handling this scenario. So kind of like pitch recording um, for like elevator pitches or scenario pitches so that the organization can quickly see that you've understood it. Uh, part of that sometimes is an actual assessment in terms of multiple choice. That's usually more relevant for sure. like product type stuff. Um, and then ultimately we measure those things to see if, uh, it's impacting performance. So things like a Salesforce integration for our customers are relevant to see, Hey, I ran this big training campaign against these two competitors. Let's actually see if our win rates went up against those competitors. So we really try to drive into is training impacting performance, which is a really hard thing to, to kind mm -hmm. of measure, but you can certainly start to correlate some things and, and try to understand if, if your training is actually working. Yeah, well, I think yeah the, the important qualifier there with with correlations, but I, I that is yeah you know, one of the key points that that CEOs surveyed about sales training bring up most frequently is I can't you know calculate an ROI on it. Yeah, it's tough, and I think you know the place most of our customers start, uh, Andy, is uh, to demonstrate that it's working is ramp times because it's so important to a scaling business. So mm. you know. Before I implemented training program X, my ramp time was 120 days, and now I've cut that in half, right? Because it's more organized, it's better content, different delivery methods. I bring in really smart sales consultants, maybe like yourself. It just depends on what you choose to do. But I think that's a clear, hey, we did this and decreased ramp time. Obviously, there's some rep variability in there, but if you hire enough, that usually is the first data point people tend to look at. And so... Again, interesting question. Then is is so how are people measuring that the ramp is complete just based on completion of the quizzes and tests or that hey they've gone out and executed? Yeah, no, we we typically like to look or at least ask our clients to look at when do they get to um I, I usually like to use about eighty percent of a fully productive quota. Seems to be a really, you know, kind of qualitative measure. So how long does it take you from higher date? to I'm doing 80% of my number consistently, uh, and what's that time period? So it's not really even related to the training material that you're necessarily completing through that process. It's more so, does that training material that you're going through influence that kind of time it takes you to get to full production? And that 80%, is that 80% of an activity metric or, or some sort of revenue target? For, for, for quota-bearing reps, we do, um, do the revenue targets. Um, or sometimes that can get skewed with like a couple of big deals. So sometimes it makes more sense to say this number of clients is when we consider a fully ramped rep. 
you know, number of opportunities you've actually closed. Um, for more of an SDR role, we typically look more activity metrics. So if you're driving your SDRs to set a certain amount of demos, when are they getting to that number of demos? But I think it's organizational to, to decide on what the ramp metric is. Those are the two we suggest depending on the role. Um, but you know, I think the, the important thing is you measure it consistently and, and measure it over time to see if you're getting better or worse. Yeah, well, and this raises sort of the larger question, which you and I touched on it before we went on the air here, was, was yeah, what, what's it really take to move the needle on, on productivity and sales and make it sustainable? Again, you know, sort of the, you know, so almost mythical reports, you know, people talk about CSO insights <laughs> and so on these days, you know, 50% of reps aren't making quota. Assuming that's, that's in the ballpark, right? Yeah. Um, and hasn't really changed much over years. And so we could say, well, Hey, that's the way it meant to be. Or mm. if that's not, if that's just how it is and not how it could be. What's, what's the key from a, a training perspective? And grant it's just one part of the equation, but from a training perspective, to move the needle on that? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's a, it's a really interesting question because you're right, it is one lever to get things moving. So I think the, um, you know, kind of what I mentioned earlier around getting it to the right priority level in the organization has to be number one because if, if you don't prioritize it at an organizational level and you don't have the right philosophy on development at large and you don't value the individual growth of your sellers, um, it's going to be really hard to design programs that, you know, actually move the needle. So I'd say the priority is, is first, I think from there, um, typically what I would suggest as a starting point to customers is, um, you know, we like to think of <clears throat> this, this problem of training needs to be solved by one or two people in the organization. And oftentimes the knowledge of being a good seller uh, lives inside your sales org somewhere. So it's probably some of your better reps. It's probably some of your better managers um, or even some of your SDRs who have learned things along the way about your product, your industry, your positioning. Um, and, and I think the, the starting point is to make sure you're collecting those insights, obviously synthesizing them mm-hmm. and, and putting it into a more formal program. I think the mistake a lot of people make is they design this you know, onboarding ramp program in a vacuum and, and they don't gather either inputs or actual you know, participation from your better reps or your better uh, managers who are actually really the ones in the day-to-day thick of closing deals. They understand what prospects are saying and they've lost enough to know what do we need to change going forward. Um, so that's kind of a broad answer, but that's kind of one tactical thing sure. I think we make the mistake of as, as sales leaders. Well, I made a a bet with somebody that was in the sales training industry. Um, and I said, look, you know, they had access to tools and, you know, not yours per se, but, you know, let's sure. say similar tools and so on. And, and I said, you know, if, if you gave me a, a sales team and we had opportunity to do, you know, sales training sort of conventionally, I said, versus I could give you a curriculum of nine or 10 books that if we had your people read the books hmm. over the course of a year, that I'd be willing to bet that we'd have as much, <clears throat> excuse me, as much or if not more uplift from the group that read the books than <laughs> the training. Yeah. Because cause so much of the training is, is just situational and it doesn't really address 
the bigger person, right? The whole person, you know, the things that they need to understand. You and I talked about uh, in an earlier conversation about, you know, how do we improve our our human based selling skills? Yeah. Right? How do how do we get better at connecting? How do we better at engaging? How do we do better at opening a conversation? You know, all these things that, that are really crucial. That a lot of times you look from learn from books. Yeah. And I find it interesting that yeah, you could you could invest thousands in a training system or you could invest hundreds in a book and I mean I've run trial programs with a couple of customers where we've done this where you know for a pretty small amount of dollars. Sure. They had the but what they did, to a point I made earlier, is they had their they gave their team time during the business day to read. Twenty minutes mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And so over the course of a year they worked through all these books. They had reading guides, discussion guides every week they discussed in their sales meeting. And like I said there was this uplift. Yeah, no, that's 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 a really uh, I love that bet. Um, I, I think the maybe the the pylon bet I would make, and again, probably outside <laughs> of technology, is I would love to say, could you take those nine books, uh, synthesize in, in in a little bit more um, concise way? How does this? philosophy or this psychology book that I just read or this sales book that I just read, how does this relate to my day-to-day role as a seller? And if you had your, you know, best rep who read that book, translate it to the world that the everyday sales rep lives in. And then Mm -hmm. you gave that, you know, document module lesson, whatever you want to call it. If you gave them that thing to read, cliff um, notes. Yeah. Cliff notes and, and maybe a few like, practice scenarios that they could go through at the end of it just to kind of flex the muscle of what they should be taking away. I bet you could get the same results potentially faster. That's a very interesting idea. We'll talk about that <laughs> offline. Um, <laughs> I'd never thought about it though. It's a really, it's a really good point. It yeah. Really All right. Well, Connor, we've run out of time, but it's been fantastic talking to you. I'll we'll have to do this again sometime. So tell folks how they can learn more about uh, Lessonly and connect with you. Yeah, you bet. Um, I'm terrible uh, at most social media channels. So me personally, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's about the only place I'm active. Uh, for us uh, at Lessonly, we're at uh, Lessonly.com. All right. Well, hey, brave admission about your, your social media skills. <laughs> uh, so I, I admire you for that, so admitting that on public. So, all right, Connor, thanks a lot. Friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Make sure you come back, join us again tomorrow for another fantastic episode of Accelerate. Until then, I'd really appreciate it. If you have time, go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review for Accelerate. We want to hear what you have to think about what we're doing and how we can make it better for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 